Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 78, Tailored. On Thursday morning, I'll be getting up bright and early in order to catch a ferry, to catch a bus, to catch a plane, so that I can spend the weekend with my family in Alberta and find a wedding dress. As the time has been approaching, I've been doing a lot of work with myself to get to the point of looking forward to the experience, and I'm almost there. I have realized that it will be fun to try on dresses, to find something that will be a wonderful base for my wedding shawl. I'd have something that for once, is tailored to fit me perfectly. I've spoken before about having a bespoke-type body in a ready-to-fit world, and there is still a lot of that angst sitting in the back of my head, but I've also been spending a lot of time thinking about it and where it came from over the last few weeks, and that has led me down memory lane to reframe some of my experiences with clothing. I remember finally, finally, finding a pair of jeans that were long enough for my legs when I was a teenager. It was high school, I think, or at least that's the way the hallway looks in my memory. They were purple acid wash. Did I just date myself? And I got them at Lamley's Western Wear. I loved purple. They fit, they were comfortable, and they were great. But they were also jeans, and I never wore jeans for just one day before washing, so without a thought, I wore them to school two days in a row. And that's when someone in one of my classes asked me if I had two pairs of those jeans, because I'd worn them yesterday. I am no longer sure who it was, as I can't quite remember the face or anything besides that that person identified as male. Naturally, I said no, and I still have a recollection, if not of the look he gave me, than of the feeling I got in my stomach when he did. I wish I could remember that I didn't care, that I still wore those jeans multiple days in a row, because they were the best-fitting jeans I had at the time, but part of me isn't sure anymore. When you are young and in high school, your peers are extremely influential. It's possible that's part of the reason I own three pairs of identical black leggings and four grey ones, and not just for the efficiency it offers me with matching the rest of my clothing. I remember going clothes shopping with mom when I was even younger than high school, probably around grade five or six, and I realized that none of the clothes my peers were wearing would fit me. My growth spurt started early, and by late elementary school I was a head taller than most of my peers, and it stayed that way for most of the rest of my school days. From that point on, shopping for clothes was an exercise in frustration, and I could only handle it in small bursts before the frustration of not being able to find things I liked and that fit overwhelmed me to the point of tears. I remember discovering Tall Girl finally as an adult and realizing that, yes, I could take an armful of clothing into the change room and still only come out with one or two items, but no longer because they were the only two that fit in the arms and legs, regardless of how the rest of it looked on me, but because those were the one or two items that actually did look good on me. Everything from the racks in Tall Girl would fit or would occasionally be too long. What a shock. And I realized what it was like to finally have selection. 
Certainly, the style in the store, even after it was taken over by the UK's long, tall Sally, was a bit more formal and a bit less fun than I would have liked. But it was such a relief to know that I could go somewhere and actually try on clothes. Their transition to online only in early 2019 was very disheartening for me. And I'm still coming to terms with that. I remember a friend of my mother's sewing me some more office-type clothes just after I entered the workforce. It was in the early 2000s, and the outfit I remember was a vest and some very loose, shapeless pants that could be paired up with a simple shirt. The fabric was very light, summer weight, and probably synthetic, because I remember having a problem with static and the legs of the pants clinging to my legs. I believe that was the reason I bought my first and only bottle of static guard. Yes, they fit, and yes, they were long enough, but I knew so little about fabric characteristics at that time, I did not realize that it was probably a bad combination. I remember the year my sister and I sewed our own Halloween costumes. We bought patterns and fabric at Fabricland, and in short order made ourselves into a pirate wench, her, and Robin Hood, me. My costume was badly fitted. I knew nothing about altering patterns, so just pin the paper to the fabric and cut. The tights were not tight, and the waistband came up to my chest. The tunic fit okay, but the shirt. Oh my goodness, the shirt. I swam in it, and I was not small-chested even then. The shoulders came halfway down my arms when the tunic wasn't on to hold things up, and it was itchy from the cheap fabric I chose. It was a good thing the tunic covered the neckline, or I'd have been flashing everyone. I wish I'd kept at it, though. Learned to sew and fit clothing to myself, but after that experience, I just became convinced that it was impossible to fit my body. One of the things about knitting your own clothing is that you can fit it to your body if you know how. I have had some failures, actually more failures than successes, but I learned from them, and before we went to Denmark and Norway last year, I finished a sweater vest that actually fit. I gave some thought to the length, the shoulder depth, the bust, and other things, and didn't make much in the way of adjustments, but enough that I finally, finally had a fitted garment. Next on my to-do list is Oranje from Nitti, but... I want to wait until I have a good amount of time to devote to it, so it doesn't take four years to knit like my first sweater. My experience with clothing over my life has impacted the way I feel about this trip and the shopping that will come along with it. But I always come back to the feeling I had when I put on that vest for the first time. The dress I get will fit. It will look right, and it will be tailored for me. I'd like the fabric to be cellulose or protein so I can dye it later if I want to. I want it to be simply styled so I can dress it up with any kind of shawl I make over my life. And I know it will look good, or I won't get it. For the first time in my life, I'll have a complete outfit, a proper garment, that's specifically tailored for me. And if that's not something to look forward to, I'm not sure what is. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week.
had a lot of fun spinning over the last few weeks, but I've mostly been spinning at Guild because I've been writing a lot of things for the paper and getting a few other things done. So it hasn't left me a lot of time uh, during the day to actually sit down at my spinning wheels and do anything. So it's been nice to be able to go out one evening a week and just spin. And I've been having a lot of fun with it and I'm mostly spinning unknown wools so I'm just sort of faking it a little bit about you know what to do with these things so I'm sampling a little bit to start and and going from there so the first thing that I've been doing there's this there's this pretty big bag probably at least a pound if not a pound and a half or two of a gray wool I think it might be Shetland it has sort of that feel possibly it's a roving, definitely, not a top. And so I just, you know, I figured, you know, there's enough of this that I can spin it up into something that will actually, you know, be of some volume so that someone else can do something with it, weave it or whatever. So I was thinking about a three-ply and I spun it with that intention. But once I finished, one of uh, the other spinners at the guild, who is also a really, really excellent weaver, said, no, no, I think this should be a singles and it should be like a nice lacy open wrap of some kind. So instead of waiting to ply, I actually skeined it off just to see how it would, you know, if it would relax or anything. And uh, when you spin something with the intention to ply, you always put an extra twist. It's just a, it's just a thing. So when it came off of the nitty naughty, it kind of went into this whole big mass of twist but it still felt pretty good you know it still had sort of that character that we were looking for so I said no let me take it, it, it there's some twist has to come out and we both agreed that some of the twist had to come out so I said let me take it to the office and I'll air ply it which uh, they found a fascinating concept and so I'll have to demonstrate that to them at a later date but in this case you know I just said, okay, I've, I've finished, I've filled the one bobbin and I'm spinning on a Ashford traditional, uh, the same vintage that I have. So the bobbins are exactly the same size. So I took it to the office and I threw it on my Swift and then I air plied it. And I was getting going along and the bobbin was getting full and the bobbin was getting full. And I looked at what was left on my Swift and it's like, there's no way I'm fitting the whole thing on that one bobbin. But what I did not expect was that it would fill two bobbins. So I, I scanned off the one bobbin and it was very nice. I, I had one spot only where the twist failed. So it's still structurally sound as a singles, which is great. And then I started with the rest of it and it actually got to the point where I had to manually wind on after, after I took some twist out, I should start manually helping it get onto the bobbin and that was so unexpected and it shouldn't have been because when you take twist out of course it introduces more air so it has more bulk but I really didn't I didn't expect two full bobbins out of one so I uh, I skeined them both up I washed them and now they are the most wonderful drapey you know lots of loft structurally sound singles yarns so I'm going to spin up more of it, you know, as much as she wants me to, to make this, this vision that she has. She pulled some kind of rose uh, silk 
I think it's a, it was a silk blend of some kind out of her stash for the warp. And so, yeah, I'm just going to give it to her and say, go to and have fun with it. So in the in between scanning this off and figuring out if what we wanted to do with it and keep it going, I'm spinning some romaine wool. And I call it the romaine wool because when I was going through all of the things that the guild had in their stash, there was this little bag of of wool that was it was a, the bag was the romaine lettuce hearts bag and it was filled not 100% just a little bit with this white wool so i kept calling it the romaine wool and cuz it just made me laugh it's like hey there's the romaine wool again it keeps i kept picking it up and looking at it so finally you know what there's not much of it i have time i'll try and spin it so it was cloud it wasn't prepared roving it was just uh, washed and so I tried to spin it from the cloud. That didn't work out very well. So instead I carded up some Rolex. And as I was carding up the Rolex, I realized that this had to be a down. Had to be a down wool. The fibers were really short. They had a lot of crimp, super bouncy, very blocky, and felt really chalky. And those are all hallmarks of a down breed. And then I started spinning those Rolex and oh, it just works so well works so well with the downs. So I'm going to do that as a two-ply. I've split the two, the, the amount of Rolex that I had in half and spun two plies. I finished spinning this week and so I'll ply them next week and then I will demonstrate uh, for my guild members to f how to full because some of them are were uh, quite shocked when I described it and I'm like no no you really do have to full a woolen yarn. It's going to be great. So that will be a lot of fun. And then yeah, once I've once I've plied that off and, and fold it, then I'll go back to the gray and and fill another bobbin and then air ply it and fill two more. <laughs> so it's it's been a lot of fun, you know, because a lot of these things are unlabeled. So you really have to um, you know, it's kind of a guessing game when you're working with it. It's like how is what what's gonna be the best thing to do with this? And so it allows you to be creative at the same time as being kind of a detective. So it's, it's fun. I have done a little bit more on the Gossamer project on my Lendrum, but that's going really slow for obvious reasons, because it's a Gossamer project and it's 160 grams. So I'll keep working on that. I do have to either get done the one uh, half so that I can clear the wheel or just take it off while I'm going away because I did get accepted into the second one that I had put a second uh, fiber fair that I had put uh, an application into. So for those of you on the West Coast, I am teaching on Saturday, April 25th at the Couch and Hand to Hand Fiber Arts Workshop Weekend. So I've got uh, two half day classes. The first one in the morning will be basics of yarn construction for spinners. So I'm going to just go over how the different elements of yarn construction can impact the suitable end use of your fibers and how to play with it, break out of your comfort zone. And then in the afternoon for the knitters, I'm doing creating thrummed accessories. So we'll do a little thrummed wrist warmer and all of those principles can be applied to other uh, uh, accessories going forward. So yeah, if you're around and any of those sound interesting, feel free to come on over to Duncan and uh, I'll, put a, I'll put a link to the website in the show notes. And the registration's not open quite yet, but it will be soon. 
Moving on to level five again. I actually lied in the last episode because I was only looking at the skeins. I do forget from time to time that uh, there are elements of the homework that do not include actually spinning anything. And so module B3 of the level five is a burn test. Now, when we redid the curriculum, we moved all burn tests into level six. So you won't have to do a burn test until level six, but I do want to talk about them. So why would you do a burn test? A burn test is where you take a little bit of a particular fiber or fabric or yarn, hold it in tweezers, this is very important, and introduce it to flame. So why would you do this? Different fibers burn differently. And sometimes if there's something that you're not sure of, if you have a yarn that's not labeled and you can't tell from the feel of it what it is or a fabric, uh, you can find out more of the characteristics by burning a little bit of it and seeing what happens. It, it can allow you to determine what the blend is or if it is in fact silk or not, or if it's in synthetic. So in module B3 of level five, we do a burn test on cellulose fibers as well as synthetic fibers. And by doing a burn test of known fibers, you can create a characteristics list that can help you identify unknown fibers. So in this case, we look at how the fiber burns, what the smell of the smoke is, and what the ash looks like. These are the three main characteristics you're gonna look for. So in the case of cotton, if anybody's ever burned cotton, you know exactly what it's like. It just, it just goes up like a candle, like it just explodes in flame. But it extinguishes when you pull it out of the flame. The smell is a lot like cardboard and the ash is a little edgy, you know, it it's, doesn't come together. Whereas something like nylon, the fake cashmere nylon, melts and keeps burning when you remove it from the flame has sort of an acidic smell to the smoke and is just a sticky mess when it comes to the ash. So by going through this exercise of actually taking known fibers, burning them and seeing what it's like, you can then make some educated guesses about what an unknown fiber might be. And I've done this on occasion. We, we had something at Guild here actually, where we weren't entirely sure what it was. And, and you know, was it wool? Was it synthetic? Was it a blend? And so we burn tested it. And what we determined was it was in fact a blend. It had some characteristics of nylon, but it also had some of the characteristics of wool. So that helped us kind of figure out what we needed to do with that particular yarn. So that's why burn tests are important. The most important thing for safety reasons though, is that you have a, a lit candle on a metal tray and that you hold your fiber in tweezers so that you're, it doesn't get to your fingers. You may also want to have some eye protection on. And if you don't want to smell, you know, really smell the, the smoke, that's okay. Uh, some of them can be a little harsh. If, even if you just do the, the, the burn characteristics and the ash, it will still give you a good idea. So that's why we do burn tests and why we did it in level five. 
next time we will talk about Angora. Fiber notes. I'm a little more prepared for this segment this time. Last time I didn't have the names or the designers of any of the patterns I was talking about, so let me rectify that. My cabled socks are actually going really well. The pattern is Intermingle by Rich Enzer. It's a free pattern on Knitty. So I've gotten the cuff done and I'm two or three rows, actually two rows into the uh, body of the sock. The leg pattern is 24 rows long, so I haven't quite gotten to the end of it yet, but I think it's working out okay with this yarn. It's still, I think, a little soft, maybe a little splittier than I'd like for, uh, for cables. But on the other hand, there's a lot of cables and I'm doing them on double pointed needles and the cable section takes more than two of them. So it's easily more than half the stitches. So I know I'm going to run into some problems as it goes, but now that it's a little longer, I think the weight of the sock will actually help me quite a bit to, to get that fixed. So, so I'm working on those. I'm, I had cast on for the left sock too. I was thinking about doing them, you know, in equal stages. I still may, but I'll have to think about it because then I'll be jumping back and forth between charts and all of these things. So what I may do is finish the whole leg of the right sock, then finish the whole leg of the left sock, then do both heels and then move on to the foots. So, but it's a little more complicated than I can really take with me when I'm, you know, it's, it's a little more complicated than purse knitting. I need the chart in front of me. So I also cast on for very easy cowl. Uh, the cowl is Shukriya by Suzanne Taluri. Just a series of very simple stitch patterns in the round. I'm using a seven-step fingering weight gradient that I got from a friend of mine. It's from A Thousand Ravens, and the colorway is Mermaid's Tail. So it goes from this really beautiful green and then transitions all the way through to a very lovely light-ish blue. So I've got these two projects and I'm going away for four days and I really don't need to take both of them, especially because I also have to uh, either re-knit the top of or darn my sister's mittens again, because she has worn through the, the tips of the fingers on the one. So, so I have that project too. So I really only need to take one of these with me. And I'm trying to decide which on the one hand, the simple cowl, would be great, especially if I'm tired. On the other hand, I have plane rides, so I can literally take the cabled socks with me and probably make a lot of good progress. So I'm still deciding. I'm running short of time. I will I'll probably post to Facebook about which one I've decided to take with me. And while I'm in Alberta, since that's where my yarn stash is, I'm going to be tossing my yarn stash a little bit and bringing some stuff home. It's meant just well, well, maybe not as much as will fit in my suitcase, but a few more things to sort of broaden how much yarn I have available to me. So, I mean, I know I have so much yarn. I don't need to buy more. I just need to be selective about what I bring home. So that's really what I'm working on right now. I've, like I said, I've made a little bit of progress, but not really a lot to write home about. I've just been doing a little bit of knitting here and there when I have some time.
by the wayside. I got a little bit done on the accolade. Not a not a lot, but a little bit. And a part of I tried a couple of times to sit down in the evening, take it out and try and get some stuff done, but even this light that I have in the living room is just not enough for me to tell the colors apart on the chart. So on the weekend, it was a little sunny and yeah, that was Saturday after I got home from the soccer game and I sat down, I pulled it out and I was going to work on it and I, you know, the sun was out. And so I looked at the chart and I'm like, oh, hey, hang on. I can make a more informed decision when I see the chart in the sun. So this is really going to limit what I'm able to do. But I, by doing that, I have a good idea of what some of the colors are. So once I've made that choice, then I can continue. I can figure out which, which of those um, lines are that color and I can continue on. I finished up in the area I've got my Q-snap in right now. I've uh, finished up the floor and I'm on to the bottom part of the princess's dress. There is a lot of backstitching in the princess's dress. So this is going to be very interesting. And there, some of the lines are so thin that I look, I squint and I look at them and I'm like, is that just the grid or is that actually backstitch? Which is another reason to wait for the sunlight. Now, we are a month away, less than a month away now from Equinox. Hooray. So I am actually getting to a point in the year where I have sunlight at night when I get home, which will make my progress on the accolade go so much faster. I mean, I still think it's going to take me a while. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but yeah, I think I, I have, I feel good about this summer and actually making the progress and finally, finally finishing this piece. So we'll see what happens in the next couple weeks. And because of course I'm traveling this weekend, takes away some of my time, but I still try and get uh, a little bit in on the accolade before the next episode. Thank you for joining me for episode 78. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 79 on March 8th, 2020. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.